Wait, that's a thing? Never heard of it. Oh, you have no idea. This is Haven Space, a safe place for fantasies. Brought to you by sex coach and researcher Sarah Perry. Hi folks, this is Sarah Perry and welcome back to Haven Space. Today we're going to be talking about pecatophilia, which is the fetish of sinning and committing sins. By the end of this podcast, you should know a little bit more about this fetish, what it is, what it isn't, what we know about it, where to find it, and how to go about making it happen for yourself with all of the consent, respect, and pleasure that our bodies are worthy and capable of. Now, Pecatophilia is one of those fetishes, like some of the ones that have come up in the past, like the fetish of blood, that haven't really been studied a ton. In fact, they've only really been talked about in kind of criminal justice journals and, of course, in the Encyclopedia of Unusual um, Sex and Practices because we want to kind of vilify sexual behaviors. We want to have conversations about ooh, this is something that's kind of edgy and out there. So let's um, act like people that like this sort of stuff can be sketchy people. With that being said, a lot of the information I'm going to give you is something that you should not take to heart, is something that you should say, okay, just this is for novelty purposes only, but these are things that are found in the literature. So Dr. Rose that wrote um, the Encyclopedia of Unusual Sex and Practices, they don't necessarily provide a lot of data on where they are finding their research. They don't cite any studies about this fact specifically. And therefore, I want us to talk about it more in terms of like urban conversations about it, the pathologization of sexuality, and how the study of human behaviors can sometimes conflate the amount of um, kind of trauma and damage involved in our sexual experiences. Another fetish that can be kind of linked is the idea of hierophilia. Hierophilia is the arousal from sacred objects, um, things like church services, um, using the Bible, um, different outfits that people in religious kind of communities could wear, including religious communities that are non-Christian. So in my research, I actually came across some Islam fetish stuff. So the idea that someone could be wearing something that's specific to a religion or a tradition could also be seen as hierophilia, if it is religious, of course, if it is sacred, as opposed to secular, of course. Again, there is no empirical evidence about most of the stuff I'm going to talk about, but I think it definitely begs the discussion and the conversation as to if there is no evidence, then what would lead someone to draw these conclusions and how can we then problematize that and say, hmm, are you actually being fair? What's going on with you and your behavior, right? That is the case for some of this stuff I'm about to say. Originally, The idea of pecatophilia is about the sexual arousal and gratification that one gets from committing a sin. This could be one of the seven deadly sins. It could be a sin in terms of something that is criminal, criminal behavior that is considered morally reprehensible. But it could also be a sin such as eating pork if you're not supposed to or showing a part of your body that your specific religious group says not to. 
Clearly, this could be very easily linked to childhood simply because our first sexual experiences tend to be laden with shame and guilt and fear of getting caught. And all of these things increase our arousal for those experiences. The idea of keeping something hidden, we've already talked about once when we talked about cheating in that podcast. The brain actually works to protect things that we're keeping hidden in more ways than it would if we weren't keeping it hidden. The idea that something has to be secret then pushes a bunch of hormones that actually tell your body, this is something I have to keep quiet. This is something that is important to me. And it can lead you to feel like you are more bonded to that than you actually are if it was out in the open. In fact, a lot of times when affairs are found out, the affair ends not only because the partner said that they weren't okay with it, the original like anchor partner said they weren't okay with it, but also because the excitement of that has then dissipated. Similarly, we talk about when children are engaging in sexual conduct at very young ages, I'm talking like toddlers that are playing doctor games and stuff. The moment you then confront these children together and put them in a room and say, whoa, we're not comfortable with this behavior happening right now, here is why, we can actually see a change in the behavior of said children because they no longer find it as exciting. You would think that if they've been caught doing something, especially children would want to go against what they've been told and then feel the excitement in that way. But instead, the opposite happens. They tend not to go back and revisit these experiences solely because they've already found out that it would be fine. You're not going to be in trouble. It's just going to be something we talk about. So it's not, no longer something that they're hiding. So keep that in mind about how this fetish could have come to be, how we could turn this idea of childhood shame over our sexual dynamics into something that then becomes translated to adulthood where we can commit much bigger sins and enjoy that in a very different way. Now, another way that this could be exhibited in adulthood is as kind of a relationship to the idea of guilt inside of our sexual experiences that could super easily become BDSM dynamics where there's dominance and submission and one can act as in both. These kind of role plays with religious dominance can very easily translate to dominance in sexual scenarios simply because we're already used to the idea of kind of a religious superior being having some control over us. Whether we want to embody who that religious superior being is, whether it's God or a priest or pastor or nun, these ideas of religious kind of supremacy end up translating easily into whether we want to become that character or someone that's just living the role we live in where we're inferior to those people sexually. Um, And those things can become super fun in BDSM play. Now, sexual arousal could also come from performing an act that someone believes is a sin or playing out like you're performing that kind of act. So Really, I think the question comes up about what would this say about our culture? What does it say? The religious stigma we live with, the relationship between religion and shame, and then shame slash guilt and our relationship to sex as a whole, and really sublimating that into something that we can see as pleasurable as adults. Another thing that is mentioned by Dr. Rose and 
their book is that masturbation in teens could become this type of thing. Similar to what I was talking about, about young children, but simply the act of masturbating for teens can be linked to fear, fear, especially very religious teens, fear of eternal damnation, even fear of potential death if, say, God would be unhappy and then would condemn you or or have you killed because of that type of behavior. So yeah, if you're a teen and you're developing your original sexual experiences and it turns out that you have been told that it's completely unacceptable for you to place your hands on yourself and you feel compelled to do it anyways, you could easily link that to a super heightened sexual experience. I also want to acknowledge that the idea of religious stigma and shameful early experiences surrounding solo sex, like masturbation, have been super linked to adult sex addiction, quote unquote sex addiction, because um, as I've mentioned before, I really feel like sex addiction is a misnomer. I feel that we have given kind of this open avenue towards saying that everybody's a sex addict. In fact, today on the radio, one of the radio people was saying that if you're in your 40s and you want to have sex daily, then you're obviously a sex addict. So this has become just a term that we like to use when someone engages in different or more common, more often sexual activity than what we are comfortable with inside of our own personal lives. And it's kind of a huge disservice to the wide array of sexual experiences that we have as people and sexual expressions that we have. So I want you to make it a point to try to see the term sex addiction as a huge red flag and acknowledge that it is super linked to sexual stigma in religion. Most of the people who I have had as clients have come to me because they are dealing with deep-rooted trauma from religious upbringings. Uh, Most of these deeply religious upbringings where they were not allowed any form of solo sex. And in fact, the idea was to then find one person and share a sexual life with them after committing to them for your entire life. And then they can't figure out why this sexual life isn't as whole and perfect as they kind of had envisioned and had been told it was going to be. The reality is that sex is one of those things that you have to kind of play with, engage in, change in, um, and allow yourself to grow in and out of without any of the shame. So yeah, there's a lot of work that has to be done, even practical work, much less all of the inner work, trauma work to get rid of this idea of what sex quote unquote should be, right? So yes, there's definitely a link between this form of guilt in adolescence and then adult sex addiction where we simply do not see our sexual behaviors as acceptable. Therefore, we don't share them with our partners and we kind of compulsively keep them hidden and then continue to do them in these like protective patterns. A lot of times, according to Dr. Rose, these things can also translate into death risk scenarios in order to recapture that emotion of like the possibility of death um, because of the guilty pleasure they're engaging in. There's a term we use sometimes called SSC, which refers to having safe, sane, consensual sex. It is typically 
um, a term used in the BDSM community for kind of how risky you want your exchanges to be. If you want your exchanges to get a little bit more edgy, more risky, we're talking blade play or breath play um, or anything that would essentially revoke any kind of safe word play, we talk about a term called RAC, which is risk-aware consensual kink. And it's mostly an acronym to talk about giving whole permission for someone to essentially take risk into their own hands and keep that control away from you. A lot of people can be super into this kind of play. And that's what Dr. Rose is talking about. She's talking about this rack attitude towards sex where you're relinquishing all control over your livelihood and that edge play kind of comes into play when you are engaging sexually. In her words, simply because of these kind of initial interactions with religious shame. She also goes a little little bit further to talk about how people may intensify their emotions about feelings of guilt by seducing people who seem really inexperienced, people who maybe have not had um, a sexual debut with another person, members of the clergy perhaps wearing costumes that may seem um, like their religious costumes or listening to religious hymns during sex. Sometimes, and a lot of times in the research that I found, people like to engage in religious settings such as a church or an altar. And again, like I said, there's a super huge link between domination and submission and these ideas of like inducing those feelings of shame and stigma and having that be super fucking sexy. Um, It is brought up in the Encyclopedia of Unusual Sex and Practices that... People may even go as far as if they are psychotic to murder their victims, usually a prostitute, as a way to like get rid of all their sins and cleanse themselves of this after they have engaged in these activities, possibly transferring the idea of guilt to this victim then because, oh, she seduced me, so I get to do this. Now, like I said, a lot of this literature, like a lot of the literature about a lot of these kind of more edgy fetishes has to do a lot with criminal behavior. So we don't really have research on people who kind of engage regularly because you can't get them to engage in the research. The research itself is biased and itself is going to frame you as a pervert and someone who's a threat to society. So why would you want to engage, right? There's been one small study. Um, The study was about 40 people. They all said they had some form of fetishism. And as we know, fetishists tend to have other fetishes that kind of conflate and build on each other. And about 10% of them disclosed that they would have enjoyed some type of sinning fetish. Now, this fetish specifically is pretty hard to find. If you look up pachetophilia, nothing comes up in the porn sites, nothing comes up in the fetish communities. But I did do a little bit more digging because sometimes the terms that we use or that people who have been examining the practices use really have nothing to do with what people in the communities who are actually living it call it. So because it's super common to talk about sin in reference to sex, that it's sinful and and sin city and these kinds of um, like hedonism being literally the name of a nudist swinger resort, right? 
these things make it really difficult to actually do research and cut through all of the blah to find something that actually has to do with this fetish. But religious fetishes are much easier to find. Um, Sacrilege is really the term that I think that you need to be searching for if this is something that is sexy to you. But again, sacrilege has more to do with sinning specifically in religious settings. I think that is the closest we're going to be able to get it simply because sinning refers to so many things and so many religions. Now, when we were talking about religious fetishes, a lot of other things came up. Ironically, there's the complete opposite fetish where you fetishize religious items um, and not the desecration of them, right? So herophilia, like I was talking about, you are aroused by sacred objects, but I always envisioned it as being aroused through the aspect of sacrilege, through the fact that you're, for example, ejaculating all over a Bible or like masturbating with a cross. I never thought that there could be people who actually think it's so sexy because it is a communion to their religion. But in fact, in the fetish communities, this is exactly what I found. In fact, it was about evenly split. I even found a um, bunch of priests and preachers, one of which disclosed that they were a Catholic priest on FetLife, who wanted to engage in these kinds of ritualistic orgasming with sacred objects. One person engaged in insertion of holy water into their penis and wrote out this pretty freaking beautiful thing about how amazing it is to feel the Holy Spirit and all of these things related to their communion, to their God and their religion. So interestingly enough, this religious fetishism can be completely opposed to pegatophilia. Um, Another thing that I found that I thought was fascinating was another Catholic priest who wanted and derived sexual relief from blasphemy and desecration. So sacrilege again. He wanted to connect with other people. He didn't say much more about it. He didn't say how far he would want the sexual experiences to get. In fact, one would argue that they would still be celibate and they would still not be sharing their body with other people and be completely in the okay, sharing sexual experiences with other people that didn't involve any kind of contact. Catholic church tends to be pretty specific about penis and vagina sex and this kind of super heteronormative idea of what sex is. Therefore, we can probably trust that just engaging in sexual conversation or other kinds of sexual contact that isn't actually physical probably isn't something they would frown upon too much. Uh, Most responses, ironically, to people looking to engage in this type of fetish were from previous Catholic people uh, that seemed on some kind of vendetta to just reenact some of the fantasies they had had as children. Um, A little bit further, some people on the edgier side of this, on this rack side, wanted to role play human sacrifices Um, And yes, deeply religious human sacrifices, not religious in terms of like pagan sacrifices like we have gotten used to talk about it. In fact, there was absolutely no mention of paganism or shamanism or um, devil worshiping Satanism. So it's really funny that in these ritualistic um, religious 
fetish communities, they do want to engage in human sacrifice role play. There is also a group, if you are interested in that kind of thing, called Devoutly Religious and Sexually Sacrilegious. And they are a group on FetLife that had about 300 members. It seemed super fun for someone who likes to engage in that kind of role play and maybe that kind of behavior with people that could be actual people from religious communities. Again, look up blasphemy fetishes. How do you do it and how do you prepare? Well, really, the only thing you have to do is be extremely respectful and really forthcoming. You don't get to just start this, try, start trying something like this with someone who isn't aware. So I really suggest these fetish communities. I think that they're a great place to meet people who are open-minded, who maybe would enjoy even just the exploration of these themes, even if you're not going to actually physically engage, especially now in the time of COVID, but who at least want to have the conversations and kind of get kinky in that way. Um, Also, don't assume that someone is okay with something they're not okay with. Establish your traffic light systems. Have a conversation when you're engaging in BDSM, especially on the edgier sides that have to do with your actual safety. And engage in safety plans. If you don't know the people that you're engaging with, do not meet in a private place. There are plenty of Um, on-premise swinger clubs, on-premise sex clubs that will allow you to have whatever edgy type of situation you want. There are many BDSM um, dungeons that will allow you to show up to parties and engage. So definitely make sure you're engaging in public if these are people that you don't know. So to recap, today we talked about peccatophilia, the fetish of sinning. It is linked to hierophilia, which is the fetish of sacred objects and sacred people and sacred spaces. We talked about displaying itself as a form of guilt and shame, probably stemming from youth and teenager years and probably from deeply religious upbringings. And we talked about how a lot of the research done isn't super trustworthy simply because it's coming from like the wrong places. We also discussed that it's a really hard fetish to find because of how common it is to talk about sitting when it comes to sex and about checking out fetish communities that may have exactly the type of thing you're looking for, including but not limited to uh, FetLife, using the term sacrilege, and role-playing with devoutly religious and sexually sacrilegious groups like the one on FetLife. Thanks for listening, and I will catch you next time. This has been another podcast of Haven Space. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Haven Space by Sarah and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Haven Space by Sarah. If you enjoyed this talk, consider becoming a patron and helping fund more talks like this in the future.